Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. You're listening to Done By Law, brought to you by the Federation of Community Legal Centres. Good evening and welcome to Done By Law on 3CR 855am, 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. It's just on 6.03pm and you're here with Beth and Ingrid broadcasting live from the 3CR studio. We'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the lands on which we are broadcasting. Where we are, that's the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and we pay our respects to their elders past and present. Tonight we look at new approaches to protecting the environment which centre the legal voice, rights and personhood of the natural world. We live in a world characterised by an increasing onslaught of climate change, extreme weather events, mass extinction events, ecosystems collapse, logging and large-scale pollution. Existing laws and institutions have been revealed as woefully inadequate at preventing this and communities are scrambling for new approaches to protecting our natural environment before it's too late. Treating natural entities as having legal personhood or alternatively granting them enforceable legal rights have been recognised as promising approaches as they shift the legal status of natural entities from being mere property to being subjects of law. Over the past decade, a number of such laws have been passed in the United States, India, Colombia, Bangladesh and New Zealand. In September 2017, the Victorian Parliament passed the Yarra River Protection Wilipgin Birrarung Murrin Act 2017. Birrarung means Yarra, and Wilipgin Birrarung Murrin means keep the Yarra alive in Woiwurrung, the language of the Wurundjeri. The law recognises the Yarra River as one integrated living natural entity and gives the river a legal voice through the Birrarung Council a statutory advisory body which must contain at least two Wurundjeri traditional owner representatives. We're very lucky to be joined tonight by Auntie Di Kerr OAM and Dr Erin O'Donnell. Auntie Di Kerr is a respected Wurundjeri elder who identifies with the Gannon Willem Balak clan. She has devoted much of her life to her local community and has worked in various fields including childcare, education, native title, stolen generation support and other community work. Her public contributions have been acknowledged by the awarding of the Medal of the Order of Australia in the 2019 Australia Day Honours List and being inducted into the 2017 Victorian Aboriginal Honour Roll. She has been appointed to the Run Council and boards of a number of organisations. 
Dr Erin O'Donnell is a water law and policy specialist and senior academic fellow at the University of Melbourne. She's recognised internationally for her research into the groundbreaking new field of legal rights for rivers and the challenges and opportunities these new rights create for protecting the multiple social, cultural and natural values of rivers. Her work is informed by comparative analysis across Australia, New Zealand, the USA, India, Colombia and Chile. Erin's latest book, Legal Rights for Rivers, Competition, Collaboration and Water Governance, is available now from Routledge. In 2018, Erin was appointed to the inaugural Birurung Council, the voice of the Yarra River. Auntie Di and Erin, thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having us. We look forward to chatting with you tonight. Um, Erin, to start, could you talk us through how this new law came to be enacted? So this law has a really long history. Um, so, I mean, if we, if we take it back, the, the recognition in law of the river as a living entity um, is something that Wurundjeri have understood for millennia. So, so the origins of this idea have been here for a long time. In a settler state context, this law was really something that was pushed very hard um, by a number of NGOs. So it's a law that has come from the community. And they convinced ministers, the ministers appointed a ministerial advisory committee um, who then prepared this report in partnership with Wurundjeri. Um, unfortunately, Wurundjeri were not immediately invited to join the ministerial advisory committee, but um, they were eventually included as part of that process. And this, this kind of community-led, very grassroots conversation about what the Yarra is, what it means to all of us, and the importance of coming up with a new management arrangement for the river that acknowledges the really important and special status of the river. Great, thank you. And, and Auntie Di, um, uh, it's so great to have you on um, the show tonight. I hope I haven't butchered any of the language in the introduction. I know No, that, you were fine. <laughs> um, I know that um, it was a real achievement and um, reflected really well on the process that Wurundjeri or Woiwurrung language was included in the name of the new act. Um, and, and part of that was the word Birurung, uh, which yeah. is the Wurundjeri word for the Yarra. Um, what does the Birurung mean to the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung? Well, the Birurung, which is the river of mist, um, it's our life, our whole life. Um, to me personally, you know, our country is our mother. So the veins of her are the waterways. So we really put that as a priority about caring for country and it's only been like about 10 years, I suppose, that Aboriginal people have been able to have a voice on water. They were never included in any in anything at all. And to be able to be on the floor in Parliament and speak language for our elders about this legislation was um, mind-breaking. You know, it, was, it was really great. And our elders were so proud to be able to stand there. And I think we're the only ones that have spoken language there first, which is amazing. And um, it's also given us a voice for our river, which we didn't have before. That's incredible, and Auntie Di. Thank you. Um, if anybody's interested, sorry to interrupt, the, you can watch the video of Wurundjeri Wurrung Elders speaking on the floor of Parliament. Um, you can just find it on YouTube. 
I will definitely have to find that and, and look that up after the show. That's um, really incredible. Um, thank you, Erin, and thank you, Auntie Di. Erin, um, could you explain to our listeners the concepts of granting nature legal personhood as opposed to legal rights? Um, and we'd be really interested to hear whether either of those approaches or a third approach is adopted in the new Yarra River legislation. So, yeah, that's that's a really good question. And it's a conversation that a lot of us are having around the world um, at the moment about how do we recognise the inherent rights of natural entities and landscape features. It's a conversation that, um, that Western law is particularly having because, as I mentioned, um, Indigenous peoples in different ways have been recognising and protecting the interests of country and landscape and rivers for a very, very long time. So... Uh, Western law is playing catch-up. One of the ways that it started to try to do that is to recognise nature, um, whether that's nature as a whole or a particular landscape feature, like a river, like the Yarra, um, as a legal person. Now, a legal person is not a human person, and a legal person is really an entity that is the subject of rights in law. And so when we think about that, one of the best examples of what a legal person represents is the corporation. So the corporation um, is a specific legal identity. It was really designed to separate risk from reward. So it was a way of saying shareholders can invest in this company, but because we'll recognise the company as a separate legal entity, the shareholders don't necessarily bear the risks um, of the decisions made by that legal entity. So in that context, it seems a little bit unusual to be applying this concept of a legal person to a natural context like a river. And this, this sort of separation um, of, of the risk and reward of the legal identity of the river from the people that live along and love the river and are in relationship with the river is a bit of an uncomfortable one. And it gets even more uncomfortable when you think about the specific legal rights that are often encapsulated within personhood. And this is... Any of the, the legal listeners out there will know that personhood is a really... Um, fraught legal concept <laughs> a lot of people are writing about the complexity of that so I'm boiling it down but um, we're talking about three main types of rights and so one of them is the right to go to court so the right to sue and be sued um, and so immediately you're starting to think about this in an adversarial context um, these legal rights are important if you want to go to court uh, the other rights that a, a corporation usually has are things like the ability to enter into an enforced contract and the ability to own property. Now, most of that is pretty far from what a river really needs. Potentially the right to go to court to protect its own interests and to have the law really respect um, and see the potential damage that can be done to a river could be useful. And this was some of the original thinking from people like Christopher Stone, um, who passed away this year, but was one of the sort of originators of this concept of legal rights for nature. Where it gets a little bit more complicated is if you think about, well, maybe we don't need a legal person for a river. Maybe we need a specific set of legal rights. And so some countries are going more down that route. Um, and we see that more in civil law jurisdictions like Colombia. So there's a river in Colombia that's been recognised as having specific legal rights and the court enumerated these as the right to conservation, the right to preservation, um, and a number of other rights that relate specifically to the interests of the river and the people who live along the river. And that's a more targeted way of thinking about well, what, what legal 
powers or rights does a river really need specifically as opposed to other legal entities. So that can be a more flexible way into it. Um, but one of the real challenges, and this applies all around the world, rivers have been recognised as legal persons or living entities or legal entities in some way in lots of different countries, as you mentioned at the outset. But so far, none of those rivers, although they have received different rights, um, none of them have received any formal enforceable rights to the water itself flowing between their banks. So we've still got a little bit of a mismatch between the legal rights that the rivers are receiving and really what they actually need. Great. Thanks, Erin. And then how does... I mean, I guess I can see that there's a gap there. How does this legislation that's been passed by the Victorian Parliament compare um, and how does it address perhaps that, that gap? So when it comes to the rights to water, there's still that gap in, in the Yarra. Uh, the rights to the water that is used for environmental purposes are held by a completely separate entity, the Victorian Environmental Water Holder. So we've still got that separation between the recognition of the river as a living entity and the organisation that actually holds the water rights um, for the water that flows down the river. But I think the, the more profound difference that we have with the Berrarung is that it's recognised as a living entity and not necessarily a legal person. So the Birurung can't go to court on its own. Um, it doesn't have that kind of legal status. But because we recognise that it's alive, this reinforces the idea that we are in a relationship with the river, that we are interconnected and interdependent and that we owe obligations to the river. And that's a really profound shift in the way that we want to use the law then to mediate those relationships with the river. Absolutely. And I can see from looking at the legislation passed that the Birrarung Council is a really important part of that process of recognising our obligations. Erin and Auntie Di, could you talk us through what the legal power of that council is and, and how you're seeing the council work so far? Um, oh, yeah. Go ahead, Auntie Di. Sorry. Sorry. Um, I don't know much about the law. Okay, so Erin can talk about that. I can talk about my cultural obligation. I've only been on the council um, for a little while and the 1st of July I was um, properly on the council. I was an observer before then. So the, being, me being on, on the um, council has given me a voice for um, the Rundry, but also it's allowing me to do my cultural protocols, which is about all of us walk, walking together and journeying together and looking after country. And it also gives me the right to share my cultural knowledge about the river so that we can look after it. And as I said, the river is the veins of our mother. So if we don't look after country, then she gets sick. And when she gets sick, we all get sick. So it's actually all of us that need the obligation to make sure that the rivers and the waters are clean and that people that want to do anything along the riverside need permission from the traditional custodians, which is the Wurundjeri people. So to me, it's about sharing and it's about learning. And uh, I suppose the word is reconciliation. I don't like that word very much because um, we need to do this every day. And um, a lot of people sort of need to reconcile with themselves before they can reconcile with other peoples. But, you know, my journey myself 
on the council is about showing and learning and working together for the future of our country. And they're so lucky to have you and the other Wurundjeri elders on the council. And I note that it's one of the requirements that there be elders um, present yeah. and, and and a part of that group. Um, how has this new law, just while just while um, you've been talking, Ani Dai, about about this role, how has this new law started to change things for the Wurundjeri as the traditional owners of the Birrarung you mentioned, needing to have people consult with you when they're considering developing along that riverbank? Um, well, we've got we had waterways of the west as well, um, which was great, and we had the Rotorong people with us talking about what's needed down there on the Narrabalong, and um, I think it's given us the voice. You know, we didn't have a voice before, and I know I've already mentioned voice, but it's allowed us to be recognised and acknowledged of our previous history, and we still are a living peoples. We've never, our culture's never died. We're the oldest living culture in the world. So our knowledge is very old and it's passed down. And we, to me, it's working on behalf of our ancestors that kept the land well and then it got sick. So now we're sitting somewhere where we can help her to get better again. That's so great. And, and I know, Erin, we were going to talk a bit about that legal power of the Birrarung Council, which I, I know is quite unique. Would you be able to talk us through that? Sure, sure. So what the Yarra River Protection Legislation, Willipkin, Birrarung, Moron, really sets out is a new collaborative governance arrangement for the river and its lands. And there's lots of different um, public authorities that have different powers um, for, for different parts of land and, and water management in the Yarra. So this is a way of bringing them all together and saying, we have to work together. The Yarra is at the heart of it and we need to come together. Um, we need to come together in partnership with Wurundjeri and with each other to do the best we can for the river and for the community of people that, that love the river. So that's, that's what the legislation is trying to do. Um, and one of the ways it does that is to require... Uh, firstly, a community vision. So we now have that. We now have a vision for 50 years. Wurundjeri Wurrung also created um, their own vision, which was co-launched um, alongside the 50-year vision under the legislation. So both of those documents are important. We're about to have the very first Yarra strategic plan, and this is a sort of 10-year way of implementing that vision. The vision is for 50 years, and so the Yarra strategic plan is a way of saying, let's, let's give effect to that over 10-year periods. And now this is where we get into the role of the Birrarung Council. So the Birrarung Council is not a decision-making body. Um, we don't have a lot of formal legal power. But what we do have um, is a couple of really distinct functions. Um, one is an advocacy role. So we are supposed to advocate for the interests of the river. And this is where the voice of the river function of the Birrarung Council comes from. We need to speak for the river. We need to help the river communicate with the world around it and with the, the people that need to hear the river. Um, the other function is an advisory function. And so we need to advise the Minister and Parliament about how the Yarra Strategic Plan is being implemented. So we, we play a really important role in the monitoring and evaluation of how all of those local governments and water authorities and other people are actually giving effect and complying with the Yarra Strategic Plan. And one of the 
the kind of the only sort of power that we really have under this legislation is that once the Yarra Strategic Plan comes out, we need to prepare an annual report on how everybody is complying with it um, and how progress is being made against um, the goals in the plan and the goals in the community vision. We present that report to the Minister and the Minister tables that report in Parliament. So that kind of... it's. A little bit of a naming and shaming power potentially um, to say this is this is how well we're doing or how well we're not doing, um, and that's that's really the function of the Beerung Council is to help hold people to account and keep the voice of the river alive in all of those conversations about what is being done around and to and with the river. Thank you, both of you. Um, this is Ingrid here. We've got another question for both of you before we go to a short break. Um, we're hoping to hear about what you both hope for the council for the future. Erin, um, you've talked about the community um, vision for 50 years, so it's it's evident that you're planning a long way into the future. And Anida, you talked about sharing and learning. We just wanted to ask both of you what your hopes are for the council for the future. Um, so my hopes are that we fully work together and journeying together, um, and that the river is completely recognised by all, and, you know, about healing, healing country, helping it get better, looking after rivers, and it is about us being together. We have so many different cultures in this world, and we have so many that live in Melbourne that we need to share all of this, and the way to share it all is to all look after it. And I'm hoping that that will be done and that our voice will be heard and that it's automatic that people come to Wurundjeri first before they do anything to the river. So, yeah, I think to pick up on that, I think there's yeah there's a few things um, that I would like to hope for in the future. I think one is that the, the Bureau and Council and the Yarra legislation are are a fantastic model. I don't think they've got all the answers. I don't think they've got everything right in this legislation, but um, it's a really exciting new way of thinking about river management and river governance. And to centre that around um, a partnership that recognises the sovereignty of traditional owners um, is crucial. And so I see that um, as playing into future treaty conversations and longer-term conversations about... Um, the role of traditional owners in managing country and caring for country and healing country. Um, the other thing that I'm hoping for is that that this legislation shows the power of recognising the river as a living entity and centering mm. the relationship between people and the river as at the heart of river governance. And mm. if we can do that, then we may not need formal legal personhood or legal rights for rivers because the power of that transformative change comes from changing that relationship between people and the river. And we can already start to see this beginning to happen um, in the Yarra. So historically and sort of even even still today, we, we have largely an extractive mindset, a resource management mindset where we're asking what can we get from the river? And that's you know that's that's been damaging for the last 250 years in this in this river. Um, we still get 70% of Melbourne's water supply comes through the Yarra catchment. Um, we still see polluted stormwater 
funneling away into the Yarra as a way of taking that water away from, from housing developments. Mm. But what we're starting to see with this legislation is a change that says um, maybe we should be asking what do we want for the river? Instead of what can we get from it, what do we want for the river? And that's where the community vision and the Wurundjeri vision for the river really start to articulate that. And once we recognise the river as a living entity, we can start to ask, how do we get there with the river? How do we make the river itself a partner and a collaborator in its own management? Thank you so much for that explanation. We're going to go to a short break um, and then we'll be back to hear more about this very interesting topic. so much the things he saw but what he felt inside and how he loved the fender's rain the only thing he ever wanted the reason that he painted for was that everybody shared the dream his land would never change of a change Welcome back to Done By Law on 3CR 855 AM, 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. It's just 6.28pm and you're here with Beth and Ingrid and our guests, Auntie Diane Kerr, OAM, and Dr Erin O'Donnell. You were just listening to the song Native Born by Archie Roach, which unfortunately we had to fade out a little bit, but you can always catch that on Spotify. And it's an excellent song. Um, thanks so much, Erin and Auntie Di, for speaking with us tonight. We've been talking about new approaches to protecting the environment, which centre the legal voice and rights and personhood of the natural world, and specifically about the Yarra River Protection Willopgin Birrarung Lamurran Act of 2017 uh, and the Birrarung Council, which both Erin um, and Auntie Di are members. Uh, we are at the end of our show and I just thought um, as we are closing, uh, Auntie Di, if you could let us know where listeners can go to find out more about the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people. Yes, we're um, located in the Abbotsford Convent but also we now have a website after many, many years so you can look up 
Wurundjeri's website, and it has on there how to contact the office and some stories and things. So it's um yeah, I've been crying, um, and you're always welcome to walk in the door. Anybody's welcome to walk in the door, Wurundjeri. That's great. Thanks so much, Annie Di. And I know that if you put Wurundjeri Tribe into Google, it brings up the address, phone number and the website. And it's the Wurundjeri Woi Wurrung Cultural Heritage Ab- Aboriginal Corporation. Yeah, big long name. Big long name. Um, <laughs> thank you so much, both of you, for joining us. It's been such a treat to talk about this topic with you both. Oh, non thank you. It's been a pleasure to join you tonight. Thank you. Thanks. So you've been listening to Done By Law. Stay tuned for Voices of West Papua coming up next. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.